and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We are coming to you on this Friday, ready to talk all things DFS. Hope you guys have enjoyed this week's crop of episodes. Again, for those that don't know the schedule, Monday is a game-by-game breakdown of what happened on Sunday. Tuesday is a waiver wire focus pod. Wednesday is looking ahead to the week. Thursday is a special guest 10 questions episode. Friday, we have our DFS show. Saturday, we hit on injuries. And then we start it all over again, trying to make sure you guys have everything you need to go win those fantasy titles so as always we'll be focusing on DraftKings on this show and as always i am joined by my fellow co-worker pff analyst andrew erickson andrew happy week too man representing the brand representing josh gordon brand in the background great day to be great ian as you always say and i found my version of your sheesh I, oh. I, I, I uh instead of sheesh because again i can't take your stick but i, I say wolf now it's like wolf. uh like wolf it's like when kyle shanahan doesn't tell us who his starting receivers are or running backs i'm just like Wolf, come on, Kyle Shanahan. Who's the who's the brother in Home Alone that where he goes uh, like Brett's girlfriend? Wolf, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, who's yeah, his yeah, older exactly. brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the little brother. Um, I don't know his name. I can't remember his name. I know the older brother's name is Buzz. Buzz, Buzz. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> he gets the picture. He's like Buzz's girlfriend. Wolf. Okay, I like that, Andrew. I like that. Wolf. Oh, you, you can send out some wolf alerts, you know, on Twitter. Now we're talking. Now we're cooking. So good stuff there. Okay, as we did last week, which hey, Andrew, you know, looking back, I'm not going to go through every pick we did, but I thought we had a pretty good show in the way trying to show the people, you know, the path. And as I jinx ourselves, I'm sure week two will go uh, a lot worse. But as we did last week, we will go Q. QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end, go through a quick, uh, you know, little reel on defense, stacks, and get out of here around 45 to 60 minutes. So we'll start things off with cash. Again, people, this is DraftKings main slate only, so no Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night football. And Andrew, let's talk Jalen Hurts. He was our main cash QB last weekend. Let's go back to the well. Why the hell not? Yeah, I mean, it just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Again, I don't think it needs to be super complicated. He is a mobile quarterback, so you're getting the rushing upside. He had 62 rushing yards against the Atlanta Falcons. And again, people can point to, you know, why his completion percentage was so high last week is because he was basically just kind of like checking the ball down and it was all designed plays. But this was part of why we liked Jalen Hurts with Nick Sirianni. Like, we knew this was going to be incorporated in the offense. Like, Give the kids some credit that, okay, like he's in a better offense system last year. It was all throws to the outside downfield. So, of course, his completion percentage was terrible because it was all a lot of low percentage throws. So when he's now in an offense that's taking advantage of Jalen Rager after the catch, Devontae Smith after the catch, the tight ends, it's like, that's a good thing. You know, he it's, it's putting less pressure on him to have to make all these amazing throws. So, yeah, it was Atlanta. So this doesn't crown Jalen Hurts as the best quarterback ever. But, I mean, this 49ers defense... Their secondary is not good. Jason Verrett is hurt again. And that they were PFF's 20th ranked secondary coming into the season with Verrett as like their starter. And we just saw him get basically ripped to shreds by Jared Goff. Again, a lot of that came in garbage time, but at the same time, they could not stop Jared Goff from throwing the ball down the field. So I think Jalen Hurts is as safe as it gets. His price did not move at all. I think it moved, went up $100 from last week. And there are a ton of other quarterbacks that I think have like a ton of more upside just because of the matchups. But I think from a cash perspective, just lock in Jalen Hurts. He's going to throw for two touchdowns, get the rushing, get 200 yards passing, and I think you're good to go. Yeah, I think we got to go back here. I mean, we've now seen him in five starts, and he has ripped off fancy QB 11, QB 1, QB 12, QB 20, and three quarters. I still don't know what the hell the Eagles were doing in Week 17 last year. And last week, overall, QB 5. 
Right. Like, we don't need to crown him as a passer just yet, but we don't care how he racks up the yards. And that was why he was our primary late round quarterback and, you know, redraft because he already had examples of the 300 plus yards. And that's just icing on the cake, man. If we take his rushing attempts in these uh, six, in these five games he's had, extrapolate that across 16, it comes out to 170 rush attempts over a season, which would be the second highest mark in NFL history. I am with you on Hurts. And, you know, it's just an easy stack, too, with Devontae Smith at just 5,400, which still feels low. So I'm sure. We'll talk about him a little bit more also. And we'll talk about this on our uh, pod. That'll be out Saturday with the injuries. Keep an eye on that Zach Ertz hamstring. I don't think it's super serious, but never know. And if we do see Ertz out of the lineup, Dallas Goddard becomes someone we want to jam. And uh, similar to last week, you know, Andrew, I'm not going to try to, you know, knock off the QB we want here. I think it is Jalen Hurts. If you want to go cheap, Last week, I said Darnold was the cheapest you can go. This week, I think Teddy Bridgewater at 5,400 is the cheapest you can go. Again, it's just a pretty cheap stack, which opens up the rest of your lineup. KJ Hamler's at 3,800. Tim Patrick, I think, is 4,700. Noah Fant, 4,200. Even Cortland Sutton's cheap at 5,200. And, you know, that Texans-Jaguars game, the big takeaway I had is we just want to play everyone against the Jaguars this year. I'm not buying the Texans being this juggernaut all of a sudden or even, you know, a respectable franchise, but I do think that Jaguars defense might be, you know, that what do they call like a what do coaches call like just the complete liability at corner they want to chase like every single game. Like that's what the Jaguars defense is for us. That's the, you know, that's the rat. That's who we want to just keep on going at. So I think Teddy just for that matchup applies and you know, kudos to him for making uh, some great plays last week. On one drive, he had two extensions, you know, where he was stiff arming fools, hit KJ Hamler in the chest with what should have been a 50-yard touchdown. Teddy looked good out there. We actually get a little bit of rushing floor with him. If you really want to pay down, I think you go Teddy, but yeah, yeah, overall, I have liked my uh, cash bills most with Jalen Hurts so far. Let's talk tournaments, Andrew. You got a couple signal callers in Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson that, hey, maybe we'll see them ball the hell out. They sure look good last week. Yeah, I think that the move, I think we learned last week that the move in tournaments is to, you got to pay up at quarterback because we're going to see, especially this week where we have five games with 50 point projected totals. There are going to be quarterbacks scoring 30, 35 points. And if you don't have that guy or have his number one wide receiver, like you're not going to win a tournament this week. So I get paying down a quarterback in cash formats makes a lot of sense. But I look, if you have a Teddy Bridgewater lineup against, you know, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, they're putting up 40 <laughs> points. Like you're just going to, you're going to be in the dust. Like you're not going to stand a chance. So for me, and there's a lot of good options. So it's really tough to kind of pick. It's like trying to pick between my, my favorite kids, even though I, I don't have kids and I really don't know what it's like. You can so imagine. For, <laughs> for me, Justin Herbert is the one that kind of stands out the most because he didn't flash super high last week in terms of his fantasy production. Again, he only threw one touchdown, but his expected fantasy output was fourth highest on the week. He was PFF's fourth highest graded passer. And again, you know, Part of being a good quarterback and good fantasy quarterback is actually being good in real life. Again, the rushing upside changes it a little bit, but most of the time, you do actually want to chase efficiency at the quarterback position more or less than every other position where it can be more fluky. So Herbert, the fact that he graded really high and the fact that the offensive line is elite. They held the Washington football team to the worst pressure rate of the entire week one lineup. And that's that's madness to me. The watch the, the fearsome WFT. I was I was shocked. It's like, how do they do this? And this week they're playing Dallas without Randy Gregory or Demarcus Lawrence. Oh like Justin Herbert is gonna have he's he's gonna make a cake back there. 
He's, he's going to do whatever he wants waiting in the pocket. And, and that's also why I was talking to Nathan Yonke about this. That's why we probably didn't see as many Eckler targets last week. Again, part of it is also due to his hamstring injury, but it's also because Herbert didn't have to check it down because he has all freaking time to let Mike Williams and Keenan now run downfield and make plays for him and even, you know, get Jared Cook involved as well. So I just think I just don't envision a scenario where Justin Herbert fails against the Dallas Cowboys. Again, this isn't, you know, a hot take saying that he can beat up on a bad Cowboys defense. It's not. But look, there are a lot of really good quarterbacks on this slate. And I just think that Herbert might honestly have the highest upside of all of them, especially just based on the weapons that he has, the time he's going to have in the pocket, and the fact that Dallas is going to also have to push the envelope on the other side as well. So, I mean, Herbert could throw six touchdowns in this game, and I would not be surprised whatsoever. So that's who I'm kind of planting my flag on as one of these elite quarterbacks this week, because there are a lot of them. So I'm interested to see what who you're kind of gravitating towards. Yeah, I think the Herbert point makes a lot of sense. I like the note about Eckler's lack of targets for that reason. I did pull uh, the players that had at least 10 targets as their quarterback's first read in week one. There were only eight of them total, and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen both cracked the list. Like, hey, two pretty damn good receivers. I think Herbert was just happy to throw them the ball first. That's probably how the offense should be working. Go to Eckler when the situation calls for it. I'm sure Eckler will catch, uh, you know, several balls this week, but maybe the days of him getting 10, 12, 15, he had some 15 target games over the years. Those might be over and it might be, you know, a net positive for the Chargers real life offense. Uh, I also just want to invite everyone to check out uh, the Too High uh, podcast with PFF hosted by the Too High pods uh, hosted by Seth Galina and Deontay Lee, two of our just genius PFF real life analysts probably think Andrew and I messing around with our fantasy football are losers but i will give them just a ton of praise for their uh you know pod they did with steven ruiz and benjamin Solik from the ringer and listening to steven who's a fantastic uh twitter follow at the steven ruiz like just talk about herbert from a, like a film perspective and saying how like even the incompletions this dude's making the right read he's just, he can put the ball anywhere on the field and basically saying how like he is just like the per he has perfect tape when you watch him whereas like patrick mahomes if some other i think his expression was if like some other guys try to do what Patrick Mahomes does they're gonna break their arm out there like physically trying to pull this off Herbert just you know really makes like what the OC wants to happen come to life so you know we were talking about potential regression from Herbert in this year but it was always just based on like okay can this guy be as good as he was as a rookie and you know Andrew through at least one week it's looking like he's even better don't think that Cowboys uh, defense even at full health would have much of a shot at slowing them down you take away Lawrence and Gregory that is gonna be awfully rough I am with you. I don't think there is a low-priced, you know, QB to really target in tournaments. What about Matthew Stafford, though? Because we are getting kind of the Sunday night football where the salaries were released before that game was over, I think. So we're seeing all these guys' prices a little bit depressed. And Stafford at 6,400. Like, we can stack him with Cooper Cup at 6K, Robert Woods at 5,700, and Tyler Higby at 4,100. Like, if you look at Russ and Herbert, like, the top two receivers for all these other quarterbacks cost so much money. So if you still want to try to do a high upside, you know, quarterback, two wide receivers or wide receiver, one tight end stack. I think Stafford is like the best mix of upside and also saving a little bit of salary. So against the Colts, 
good defense. I don't think they deserve to be this unit that like we're fading. That's why Russell Wilson was my main uh, GPP quarterback last week. Took him 23 attempts to go for 254 yards and four touchdowns. So I guess the only concern for Stafford is like they get up too quick. But I don't know, Andrew. I think Sean McVay, you know, had enough, you know, of Jared Goff over the years. He wants Stafford to air that ball out as much as possible. And I'm, you know, even though the Bears didn't put up that much of a fight, they could very well be a better defense than the Colts. So for me, Stafford with those receivers and Higby makes a lot of sense in tournament land. Let's talk a little running back here. Now we're going cash at first. And, you know, Andrew, the three names you sent over CMC, Najee Harris, and Chris Carson. I think you're right on. I don't really see a path like, if there's any player I think you need to lock button into your lineup, it's Christian McCaffrey. Because the one concern we had going this year was, hey, would the targets be at an astronomical level? They are. Yeah, Sam Darnold tied Carson Wentz for the highest rate of passes thrown to the running back position <laughs> in week one. So that's that's the offense. And Sam Darnold was really never a check down guy in the Jets because I remember playing Jets running backs all the time thinking that, oh, well, they're going to be behind and we're going to see a lot of targets for insert no. Jets running backs name here. And that never, ever happened. So he yeah. would just uh, he would just take the sack instead. <laughs> Just would not happen with Sam Darnold in New York. So McCaffrey, I mean, the fact that the guy scored 27.7 fantasy points on DraftKings without even scoring a freaking touchdown just tells you how locked and loaded he is to cash games. Like, look, basically, you just lock him in and if people that don't play him, you know, whatever, just let them burn their money. Like, you, like you should, there should be no debate. Again, last week, I think that it was a conversation with, you know, how is he going to look in the offense with question marks with Dalvin Cook and Kamara there. But I, I don't think it's even close of a debate. Again, I had to watch this game very closely when it was live. And, you know, I'm tweeting out yeah, during halftime. Oh, McCaffrey has like 120 yards from scrimmage and 16 touches in the first half. It's like it, you're just going to see the points just increase, increase, increase as the game goes on. Again, if he scores, that's great, but he doesn't even need to. Like, that's the thing. So if, you know, the Saints defense is obviously a little bit more of a formidable opponent than the Jets are, but he's just so involved it doesn't even matter he could just score and if he has less yards and the touchdown will make up for it so you, you just lock in the 25 points you move on i can get behind not playing him in tournaments because he's really really expensive but in cash games i think that you just put him in as your first guy and you move on to picking the other players yeah when i was trying to go through my cash lineup the kind of early build the guys that i really just want in there jalen hurts Najee Harris, he listed. You guys have all heard this stat 10 times this week. 100% snaps. Now we get a Raiders defense that we saw, you know, Latavius, Tyson, and Lamar just run all over. I think he needs to be lock button at that price. From there, and we'll get to wide receivers in a second, but I just want to, you know, go through this kind of 2v2 equation with you here. If we stack Hurts with Devontae Smith, I think that makes sense. We'll talk about Cole Beasley and why he is far too cheap. We can save a lot of money with James O'Shaughnessy at 2700 at tight end. Eagles defense. That basically leaves me with a 2v2 pickle, and I want your opinion on which side you'd like more here, Andrew. Would you rather go in your cash lineup with Ezekiel Elliott and Cooper Cup or CeeDee Lamb and Daryl Henderson? I would rather play Ezekiel Elliott and Cooper Cup. I think that's the move I would make. I like Daryl Henderson. He's what he's really cheap because he's 5,700. Yeah. And he had like the full workload last week, but he didn't even like his numbers were okay last week. He wasn't great. I mean, Zeke's numbers were obviously hor horrendous last week. <laughs> so that's not necessarily saying much. But I don't know, like, are they going to work in Sony Machine? I know Dwayne, like, talked about, you know, he said in the Slack chat about how we were too low in the projections on Daryl Henderson. And my first thought was, well, 
I mean, it's not crazy to think that Sony like has a bigger role and, you know, that he's more another, he's like more involved in the system. So like Zeke, at least I know, like the dude play 82% snap share in a really important game. Like, and that's not going away. So, and he's also playing in the highest project total of the entire main slate. So I I think that Zeke is probably, I mean, Cooper cup again is, is locked and loaded with his, you know, he is what 34% or 37% target share. Whereas Lamb, you know, does have Mari Cooper there again. I think Lamb is going to have a monster game. So I guess the only player I don't have super confidence in is Daryl Henderson. So I guess that's why I would lean to Zeke's side. I mean, you didn't mention Carson there. Well, that's what, that's what I just wanted to. Yeah, I was, I was getting to it. Andrew. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah. OK, so I, I think you bring up good points. I would go with Zeke and Cup. But then the other question is, am I, you know, just should we not even have Zeke in there? Should we go with Chris Carson instead? Because last week, 77 percent snaps for Carson, 16 carries, three targets had, you know, I, I forget Dwayne's exact uh, numbers on the routes, but he was used far more in the passing game. Whereas Zeke, uh, as we all know, you know, pr- uh, y- your favorite pass protectors, favorite pass protector as we uh, had it going on but with Carson you know again this is a spot where we could see the Seahawks put up plenty of points and he has at least similar projections as Ezekiel Elliott so do you, would you go with Carson over Zeke and Cash I probably would I mean you mentioned the snap share the 77% snap share and that, that was with Penny yeah that sounded really really high because I looked at last year and last year he was not anywhere near that snap share and again look at that backfield like Penny's like out and they have Alex Collins and DJ Dallas. And, you know, they seem like they're pretty dead set on like, no, like Chris Carson is like, you know, a 70% plus snapshot guy. And that's really more how they use him in like 2019 when he was just a freaking monster. Yeah. I just think that, I mean, the Seahawks are going to, are going to roll. They're going to score a ton of points. He's their guy. I mean, he was good. I mean, and again, I think from a safe perspective, like he was good last week. <laughs> like, so we don't have to like look at Zeke or Daryl Henderson and be like, okay, can like they bounce back? I think, I mean, I think that's why like Zeke in like in tournaments, but I mean, Carson, 16 carries, 91 yards, 5.7 yards per carry, three catches for 23 yards. So he had, you know, over a hundred yards from scrimmage. He just didn't score a touchdown. So he was fine last year or fine last week. And the Seahawks have the third highest impl- implied team total. So chances are he probably scores a touchdown unless, I mean, I don't think that this defense, I mean, the Titans defense, are they, <laughs> they going to slow down Russell Wilson? And I just think he is way safer than, than Zeke or Henderson. So that's probably who I would actually go with. We always say, like, don't base your entire strategy on matchups, but it is a good tiebreaker. I, I think Titans-Chargers is, like, the epitome of that, right? Like, yeah, let's take that Titans matchup. Let's <laughs> let's do the one that doesn't have Joey Bosa and Derwin James running all over the field. And, yeah, Chris Carson was great last week. He actually led the entire week in broken tackles with 11. Shout out Joe Mixon, runner-up, with 9. So, yeah, I would say get CMC in that RB1 spot. And from there, Najee and Chris Carson – don't necessarily blame you all for looking at Zeke or Henderson, but I think, you know, after kind of working through that with Andrew, I do think CMC, Najee, and Carson, all the moves. Because I don't see, like, if, like, Devontae Adams was on the main slate, I think I would be trying to probably pay up for him. But, you know, I don't see, like, a wide receiver or even Waller necessarily that we need to pay up for. So I'm fine spending more cash at running back this week in cash games. So, Andrew, let's move on to tournaments now because, obviously, things – change a little bit. I'll throw my guys out here first. I love 
Jonathan Taylor this week. I think people are sleeping on him a little bit because he didn't ball out last week. Colts didn't look good. But if you just look at that usage that he displayed, like this was better than any of us could have thought. Like if we would have known that this Colts backfield was one, going to only consist of two backs and two, still continue to feature Taylor even in extremely negative game scripts. I mean, we wouldn't have been ranking him as a borderline RB1. We would have him in the top eight uh, throughout the offseason. So he combined to have 24 carries and targets in a game that they were trailing by multiple scores for almost the entire way. So Naeem Hines did great too. And shout out to, uh, what was his name? Um, Mike, I wrote his handle down here. Where is it? Okay, Mike at LGRLGM. Not, not sure what that is. But anyway, <laughs> he brought up the point on Twitter that Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Himes might just be this week's DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. I love that call. And hey, put them both in the same lineup, man. They're taking the exact same uh really strategy that the Lions are doing. Like they're not forcing the ball to their group of underwhelming wide receivers or tight ends. They're going to give it to their two best players who happen to both be running backs. So for me, Jonathan Taylor at home, 7,200. I'm seeing the roster ship pretty low over at pff.com, which you can check out with an edge subscription. I'm all in, man. Yeah. Facing Aaron Donald and company isn't ideal, but it's not like that they've just been, you know, a Tampa Bay Buccaneer level juggernaut against these running backs. Last week, Dave Montgomery converted 17 touches into 118 yards in the score. NFC Divisional game, Aaron Jones, 113 total yards in the touchdown, 15 touches. Week before that, Chris Carson had 82 scoreless yards on 17 touches. Aaron Donald, best defensive player alive. He can't single handedly stop great running backs. I mean, what player can? If Aaron Donald can't, nobody can. So, you know, Naeem Hines is in play too, but I love Jonathan Taylor at 7,200 this week. And my final note would be another guy we hyped up last week and we got the usage we wanted, just didn't get the big 70-yard touchdown that his teammate got. That is Javante Williams at 4,400. Identical usage, 50-50. Javante and Melvin are both looking at 15 combined carries and targets per week. Best matchup on the slate against the Jaguars. Again, that's why we were. I was talking up Teddy Bridgewater a little bit before. The difference is that Melvin Gordon is now priced $1,500 more than Javante Williams. Like, this is the type of leverage situation we want to get off of. And at least for now, man, and hey, we're recording this on Thursday, so I think some of these, uh, you know, roster ship percentages are going to be sharper by the time Saturday, Sunday come along, just as we get closer to kickoff. That's what kind of tends to happen. But right now, I'm still seeing sub-6% roster ship on PFF. So for me, Javante Williams at 4,400, just priced far too low based on what his role was. And yeah, give me all the Jonathan Taylor because, you know, this is a guy where if we can just get a running back set to see 20 plus touches, like I don't care that much about the matchup. If he's going under the radar at all, I think we should be jumping at that. So Andrew, we already talked about Ezekiel Elliott a little bit, but tell me more about one of our favorite plays last week, Chase Edmonds, who was fine and Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I do. I just want to shout out the Jonathan Taylor call. I like that, especially because he didn't score any touchdowns last week. He went over two inside the five. So it's just, you know, he had those one things. nullified on a hold. Oh, okay. Maybe he wouldn't have scored without <laughs> the hold, but it's sort of the one yard line. Just jump over next yeah. time, Jason. So that's something I called on my uh, high value opportunities article, which I kind of I leveraged for DFS because you look at guys that saw a ton of those high value touches, but just didn't convert on them. So Jonathan Taylor kind of fit the list of a, a running back that fit that category. Oh, yeah. So Chase Edmonds, man. I, I could we could not have asked for for better usage for this guy again he got 16 touches in a game that the Cardinals were basically blowing out the other team and you, th- you look about Chase Edmonds is you know he is the receiving back no more the change of pace back but he started in that game and he also just looked 
so explosive. Like this is why we like this guy so much more than James Conner. And I think the really good point is, look, James Conner, like that game script was perfect for James Conner to just absolutely go off. Like as the grinder back, you know, take care of it in the second half of the game. He didn't, he didn't fire at all. So I'm concerned about like really what James Conner's upside in this offense is, even though he got 16 touches, but Edmonds, I feel absolutely great about again, Sunday marked the eighth time Edmonds had at least 11 touches in a game. And he again, delivered 14.6 fantasy points. Again, he didn't find the end zone, but he still scored a ton of points and he's still really, really cheap at at 4,900. He's not being moved whatsoever. We have another game where we're going to see the Arizona Cardinals put up a ton of points. The Minnesota Vikings allowed the most rushing yards to running backs in week one. I know they played in overtime, but it still counts. So I just like Chase Edmonds a lot because he's still super, super cheap and he can, he can get you access similar to like going after Javante Williams. There are so many wide receivers I want to play that are high priced that I could see have 30, 35 point ceilings that if you want to be a little bit different and go with one of these cheaper running, there are cheaper running backs that have paths to production. And I think Edmonds is kind of fits in that category because he got 16 touches. Like that's really cheap for a running back that's under 5k that plays in a top five offense. Okay. Sign me up. He's involved in the passing game. Like I get, okay. He doesn't get the goal line touches. I understand that. And that's why he's not priced up with these other guys. But if he does score touchdowns, you know, it's going to be on these big explosive plays. So I like Chase Edmonds. I'm, I'm glad I played him last week. It was actually my best tournament lineup was with Chase Edmonds in it. So I feel good about going back to him at just $200 more. And then my other running back I want to mention is Kareem Hunt, because I think Nick Chubb is going to be very, very chalky. He's playing the Houston Texans. He, he should be chalky. It's, it's set up like the Derrick Henry setup where you see, okay, this guy's going to rush for 200 yards. But the only difference is the Browns do not view Nick Chubb like the Titans view Derrick Henry. He is not necessarily their battering ram that they're just like, all right, we're going to give Nick Chubb 35 carries against the Texans. He's going to rush for 250 yards. Like, can that happen because Nick Chubb touches the ball 15 times? Yeah, and he rips off a couple 80-yard touchdowns. Of course that could happen. But what is really in the range of outcomes is that he and Kareem Hunt both eat in this matchup and you're going to play the much less owned Cleveland Rounds running back at a much cheaper price and Kareem Hunt instead of playing Nick Chubb. When these team, when the Browns played the Texans last year, again, it was a really weird game because of the weather, but both running backs rushed for 100 yards in that game. So I just don't necessarily think that Nick Chubb will run away with the carry total in this game. I mean, they split snaps pretty close in week one. And I just don't see the Browns after they invested in Nick Chubb being like, oh, we're up 21 points. Okay, let's just keep rolling out with Chubb. Like, I think they would be smart and they're going to probably utilize Kareem Hunt in more of a fashion. And if something weird happens, because weird stuff always happens in games, you know, uh, a, a snap goes over Baker Mayfield's head and the Texans take the lead and Chubb is involved in the passing game. You're like, oh no, like what happened? Kareem Hunt will be involved in the game if for some reason the Browns have to play from behind. So I think there's a lot of way a lot of ways out where Kareem Hunt kind of just becomes the better tournament play from a game theory perspective. I think it's a really strong leverage play off of Nick Chubb, who again is in a great matchup, but I think will probably be someone I would shy away from because of how owned he will be or how much, how rostered he will be. Kareem Hunt is like Chase Edmonds, but they don't, worry about him on the goal line as well like last week when the mm-hmm. Browns scored their first touchdown I think uh Casey jumped off sides so they decided to go for two from the one yard line guess who was back there Kareem Hunt he jumped over the top like he is it's it's ridiculous you know I, I understand his off the field issues are why the Browns were able to get him at the price they did it truly is unfair for them to have those two running backs so yeah you know I again the big takeaway from the Texans Jaguars game was that we want to play over against the Jaguars I'm certainly not shying away from exploiting this Texans matchup 
up either. And yeah, all good points uh, with Chase Edmonds. In the first three quarters of that game last week, Edmonds had a, had a commanding lead in snaps, 35 to 23, carries 9 to 8, and especially targets, which we knew, 4 to 0. So yeah, Connor had the 16 carries, but to your point, I think that was only because of the extremely best-case positive game script. Still didn't manage to do that much with it. So I think more weeks than not, Andrew, in tournaments, this low-price RB strategy should kind of be the move. And it wasn't always the case. I think it was last year or maybe the year before when they moved the running back price floor up to 4K. It used to be at 3K, but then we would have, you know, these just slate-breaking injuries and everyone would be jamming in the, th the min-price running back. So since they moved it up to 4K, you just naturally see more value at the wide receiver position and tight end. So again, just have, like you said, you best tournament uh, uh, lineup last week, even though Edmonds didn't necessarily smash, just kind of presenting yourself to the differences in that opportunity uh, is how you can, I think, get an edge in some of these bigger tournaments. All right, let's talk some wide receivers now. Mentioned before in cash how much uh, I agree with you with Cole Beasley. I mean, the dude had 13 targets in the opener. He has upside. Just because he is a short, white slot receiver doesn't mean that he, that he can't have big games. Five games with 100-plus yards last season. He's Josh Allen's number two receiver. I know Gabriel Davis got the touchdown last week, but it was Diggs. Beasley and Manny Sanders were the ones with the 90% snap rates out there each and every time. So love the Beasley call. Mentioned Cooper Cup as the 6K guy. Just, again, being too priced too low after Sunday Night Football. Don't take advantage of that. Talk to me, though, Andrew, about the Steelers wide receiver one, Deontay Johnson, and the guy who remembered how to catch the football, Jamar Chase. Yeah, Deontay Johnson just had a, just like last year, he had a commanding share of the targets in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. It was a 34% target share. Again, he's priced right in that summer range with Cooper Cup. So I kind of view them pretty similarly as the two clear target leaders in their offenses. And I guess I'm only going to probably lean towards Cup because I believe that he is cheaper than Deontay Johnson and he has not Ben Roethlisberger throwing him the football. <laughs> so I, I definitely would Fair. lean Cup in the situation. I mean, if I'm playing, you know, if I can only fit one of those guys and I definitely do lean Cooper Cup in that scenario, because he is mispriced. He probably should be higher than Deontay Johnson. But I do like Deontay Johnson because he's always gotten targets. And this is nothing new. Like we were talking about it all off season where Deontay Johnson is Big Ben's guy. Like he's been his guy when he's been healthy last year. And so far to this year, it's been the same thing. 34% target share in week one. So I like that. Who's the other guy you asked me about? Jamar Chase uh, at Jamar. the low price of 5K. Yeah, that, that's what really kind of stood out to me. I was, I was writing up some of these 5K wide receivers that I kind of felt like decent. I was like, oh, like Jacoby Myers, like, hey, bold prediction. Maybe he catches a touchdown for the first time. You have to imagine yeah. all, all these scoreless yards. Eventually, we're just going to see him just like pop with like five touchdowns in one game. It's all these yards just piling up for touchdown regression for Jacoby Myers. And against the Jets, I mean, that's would be the team he would do it against. And I wrote up Colton Sutton as a player that was in that 5K range because he's the alpha there without Jerry Judy. But then as I'm scrolling down, I'm like, oh my God, like Jamar Chase is at 5K? Like what? Wait, wait, what? And that just kind of like blew my mind because I figured, okay, after a really big week for the rookie wide receiver, he commanded a 25% target share, great chemistry with Joe Burrow. They're playing the Chicago, like they're playing the Chicago Bears, who gave up a perfect passer rating to Matthew Stafford last week. Fifth most fantasy points to the wide receiver position. I'm like, and he's 5K? Like, okay, I I'm in. I I'm in on Jamar Chase. It's it's really nice when you can play, like, good players at good prices in DFS. So Jamar Chase, 
5k is way too cheap i was i was just kind of like flabbergasted at his price i i, I thought i was gonna have to like sneak in a jacoby myers but like, oh wait no i can just play jamar chase who's probably way better as a real life receiver and he's also cheaper so i will go with jamar chase and the matchup is there and he showed us last week that he's over those drops and he's ready to be an nfl contributor and i have full confidence in him going forward again it seems like tyler boyd kind of at least in week one was the odd man out i know we liked him this year but now that we have two better receivers tyler boyd looks like to have taken a step back with higgins and jamar chase the two main guys I think the big issue, and I, I think Chase is fine this week because he's 5K. Like I just that, that's just a you know pricing anomaly right there. The hope for Boyd is that because uh, the Bears basically like they started their safety Marquis Christian uh, in the nickel in Week One, and Matt Nagy just said today like they're still working through the nickel position. So I think Boyd might be able to feast this week. The bigger concern is the reason why we like Chase Higgins and especially Boyd throughout the offseason was because Burrow was freaking number one in the league in dropbacks before he got hurt last year. Uh, cool stat from Underdog Fantasy's Hayden Winks about week one. The Bengals threw the ball in just 32% of their you know neutral situations. So they are clearly easing Burrow along. We just can't rely on these guys to get 10, 12 targets to try to go score all their production. With that said, though, again, 5K, stupid sheep. So if you can't get all the way up to cup at 6K, I do think Chase and Beasley give you some nice, you know, just ability to save some salary there. And then for, like, Deontay Johnson, yeah, people, drops don't matter. Say it with me. This dude's targets, which I will go through and read now, in 13 games not impacted by injury with Big Ben under center since 2020. 10, 13, 15, 10, 11, 16, 13, 12, 7 in that Bills game that he kind of got benched halfway through. 13, 14, 16, most recently 10. His touchdown last week was fantastic, and they're still getting him those screens that show off his yak ability. So Deontay Johnson, absolutely with you on there. Yeah, I again, my first build, I'm finding, you know, Beasley in there. Devontae at 5,400, the stack with Jalen Hurts makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and if you can get up to Cooper Cup at 6K, I love that call. The Devontae Smith one, I'm loving what we saw from him in week one. As much as Jalen Hurts did not throw the ball downfield, when he did, it was almost exclusive to Devontae Smith. The only wide receivers with a higher percentage of their team's air yards, Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel. So yeah, Quez Watkins, Jalen Rager, we'll throw them a few screens, but if and when Jalen Hurst decides to start throwing the ball down the field just a little bit more, it will be to the man that they drafted, number 10 overall. Love that from Devontae. So we'll go switch off the pace a little bit and look at GPP options. Andrew, we can save some money this week, and we can save it with Cedric Wilson at 3,100. I don't know if he is going to be super chalky. I was kind of expecting him to be, but again, at least these early week roster ship numbers not looking that way. And as much as I wasn't all over Cedric, you know, in our waiver wire stuff, he could absolutely ball out in the games, in the week's highest implied matchup in terms of game total as Dak Prescott's number three receiver. I know Noah um, Brown wasn't active in week one. I'm not saying Cedric's going to immediately just replace Michael Gallup he's still the favorite to be number three on this offense in targets and he's got Dak freaking Prescott poised to throw for 400 yards you know for the rest of time seemingly so Cedric you know we saw in that Seahawks game last year like he does have boom potential I do think he is a good you know real life player he's not just a scrub that we've never heard of and you know we're hoping that he uh, can do anything with it and again at 3100 I just think he does open up your lineup and usually these guys like last week you know the Rondales Elijah's Terrence Marshall Marquez Callaway all the chalky, you know, low price guys that busted. They had that high roster shift that they wanted to avoid in tournaments. Right now, it's looking like Cedric might be able to give us both some salary relief and not exactly, you know, be 
just this guy that's going to be in, you know, 10, 20% of lineups. So would also point out Robert Woods at 5,700, I think is great leverage off Cooper Cup. You know, same like last week. I, I think we did specifically say, Andrew, like there were several situations where going to Jamar Chase instead of T. Higgins, going to Debo instead of Ayuk, maybe looking at Robbie instead of DJ Moore. Like when you see these offenses with fairly concentrated uh, target share and we just don't, sh- don't know which guy is going to ball out, Take, take the guy that's not expected to be owned as much. That is Robert Woods this week. I think the same thing applies to Chase Claypool at 5,600. Like, Najee Harris is poised to be one of the highest roster guys in fantasy. And he should be. 100% snap rate. We're talking about him in our cash lineups. But in GPP... Like the Raiders, excuse me, the Steelers are going to put up points against the Raiders. Maybe they won't be all on the ground. Chase Claypool, he he has four freaking touchdown upside, Andrew. We've seen that happen last week. As much as it wasn't great, he still looked good. You know, Moss, Tredavious White down the sideline. He took a reverse, like 25 yards. You put the ball in this guy's hands, and you can just tell he's special. So Claypool at 5,600 makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Jacoby Myers already. I've already gone on record twice now on Twitter. He's scoring a touchdown this week, Andrew. That's the guarantee. Like, I'll if someone disagrees, like, <laughs> let's put some money up on a charity or some shit. Jacoby Myers is scoring his first non-passing touchdown this week. <laughs> you can take that to the bank for the low price of 5100 Final wide receiver I would mention, Cortland Sutton, 5200 We all got hyped when we saw him have that nasty, you know, out route in the preseason. He looked healthy. And what happened in week one? He caught James Bradbury, who is one of the best shadow cornerbacks in the league, particularly against bigger-bodied physical receivers like Cortland Sutton. And now his primary competition for targets, Jerry Judy, is out of the picture. Still just 5200 I mean, again, it's the best-case matchup. I think if you, you know, maybe not tournaments, but again, if you wanted to go with that cash lineup and stack Teddy with Sutton, that might make sense. I mean, everyone's, you know, flocking to Hamler and Patrick because we want to see, oh, hey, these guys are now seeing their roles increase. What about Sutton, the guy that is locked in now as the number one target? So, again, in that mid-range, I think Woods, Claypool, Sutton, Jacoby, great options in that, you know, 5K range. If you want to save some salary, you got Cedric Wilson at 3,100 as well. Now, Andrew, you have pretty simple strategy here in GPPs this week at wide receiver. Cowboys, <laughs> Chargers, let's boogie. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you should. There, there's a argument to make. You just go Cooper, Lamb, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen because all these dudes. I looked at expected fantasy points versus salaries, and the charts are just so. Like you could just like look at the chart and be like, oh wow, I should just play Chargers and Dallas Cowboys. I guess that's what this chart is telling me. Do they're all just in the corner up together because they all should have massive games. I don't think that. You're, you need to be sneaky this week with a lot of the places you made because we know where the points are going to be. Like We know which teams are going to score points. It's just a matter of how can you put the puzzle pieces together in the way that performs the winning lineup. So I think that's really the key to figuring out and trying to figure out how can I get exposure to not just Chargers, Cowboys, but how can I get exposure to the Bucks or the Falcons game? Like Because there's a lot of high-scoring games in this on this slate, you know, the Seahawks are going to put up points. The Buccaneers are going to put up points. We've even talked about a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they have the highest implied team total of all of the teams and they're 12 point favorites at home. So like, could it be Ronald Jones? We got, I hope not, but it could potentially could be. It's terrifying. So, so I, I, I think that, you know, CeeDee Lamb is just set to just absolutely go nuclear in this matchup. You know, he was second in expected fantasy points last week because he went over three on his end zone targets and he went over four 
on his targets downfield and yet he still had over 100 yards and a touchdown (laughs) so like he like ran bad last week and he still scored like 25 fantasy points so like that's what i'm telling you about cd lamb is every lineup that i play in tournaments is gonna have him in it because i just do not see a path where he fails unless he gets like hurt or something like that happens so i think lamb is just set to absolutely smash and the same thing goes with mike williams Again, the guy had a 25% target share. I talked about Justin Herbert a little bit earlier. You know, he's actually like priced up pretty expensively. He's at 6,100. And I think that might get people away from him a little bit more because, you know, he's the same price as like Mike Evans. And you're like, Mike Williams and Mike Evans is the same guy, like same price. It seems kind of weird, but no, I think he's worth paying up for. You know, he looked really good to me when I was rewatching that game. I don't know if it's because he cut off the dreads. He's doing the Julio Jones thing where he just kind of like takes that step forward. That's the first thing I thought of. He's like, he looks a lot bigger and he looks like a monster out there. He had four contested catches. So it's not even a matter of him like being this route running savant. Just Justin Herbert's just trusting him to go up and make plays. And that's what that's what Big Mike does. He goes up and scores touchdowns. So I think that those guys are both really good plays. And I like pairing them with Keenan Allen and Amari Cooper in, in different combinations. So. That's kind of my approach with paying up a receiver again. If I want to just limit the amount of chargers and Cowboys, I do like Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley to just have bounce back games just because they were just both terrible in week one. But we both know they can be the number one wide receiver on the slate. You know, Mike Evans ran into Trevon Diggs, who apparently is like a pretty decent cornerback on the Dallas Cowboys. And that's fine. You know, Don Brady just went away from the matchup that wasn't the best to Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. So again, it just, Mike Evans just ran poor, but we know he's a touchdown guy. And that's what honestly wins a lot of tournaments is targets is something I kind of been like thinking about in my mind of targets and cash touchdowns and tournaments. Like that's kind of what I was like trying to, you know, make my new mantra. And that's what Mike Evans delivers. We know he scores a lot of touchdowns and the same thing with Calvin Ridley, like Calvin Ridley, despite the fact that he had terrible numbers, he's really more on Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley still had a, the third highest air yard share in the league. You know, so he was still seeing a ton of air yards in that offense, still had a solid target share, 24%. So I don't think that, you know, it's the end of Calvin Ridley. Like we've seen him go nuclear against these Buccaneers often, a lot of times. And Matt Ryan, the only games he's actually played well without Julio Jones, at least last year, was against Tampa Bay. So again, I think that Matt Ryan can actually have a decent game, a bounce back game with Calvin Ridley. And I think that that's kind of like a skinny stack you can go with Mike, with Mike Evans and Calvin Ridley. You don't necessarily need to stack the entire Bucks falcons game because we don't know exactly how much the falcons are going to put up a fight for mid-range i know i talked about myers Cortland sutton jamar chase low tier so someone that stood out to me was darnell mooney i thought that he was really interesting because he was just one of five wide receivers last week to run a route on 100 percent of his team's dropback so he was out there a lot and again this is kind of been mooney's thing where he's always out there like making plays that like don't count for fantasy <laughs> scoring because of the quarterback play which is just really sucks because we know he's a super talented guy but he has a really good matchup this week i don't i think he's kind of off the grid on the most part but he looked really good in terms of expected fantasy points last week he's really cheap at 4200 so i think that he's an interesting player to go again the bengals defense is not is not great so i think that he can do something there and then the cheap guy i like i know you mentioned cedric wilson so depending on if cedric wilson becomes like a chalky player the pivot is Jalen guyton yeah. same price same game uh, it's gonna be one of these dudes that's gonna have a huge game because everyone's gonna flock to the top tier guys and it's gonna be either cedric wilson or Jalen guy like you heard it here for first folks like one of these dudes is gonna be in the millionaire making a lineup or whatever and Jalen Guyton was a player that I did not like at all during the draft process. I was all about my guy, Josh Palmer on the Chargers. But Jalen Guyton 
looked a lot better to me when I watched that Chargers game. I, I was really surprised. I was like, wow, like he looks a lot better. And again, players get better. And that's something that we always kind of sometimes forget and overlook. But as a young player, he got a lot better. He had a solid game, three catch for 49 yards on five targets. He's bottom dollar cheap and he's going to play in the highest scoring game of the week and he's going to be out there running routes and last year he ran the 13th most routes in the nfl so he's played a lot with justin herbert he's oftentimes used as a downfield threat and if we do see trevon Diggs on a mike williams then it could be the jalen guyton show potentially for the los angeles chargers so depending on if one of wilson or guyton gets steam over the week Maybe it's going to be Guyton because of me. I hope not. But if one of those guys gets steam, I think that pivoting to the other one makes a lot of sense just because that's where you're going to get the most leverage. So that's one of my favorite low price guys. And then Anthony Schwartz as well is kind of an interesting guy. Super fast. Odo Beckham's not playing. And again, that was the late swap. I late swapped the Donovan Peoples-Jones thinking like, oh, this is a great play. And no, no, it's Anthony Schwartz. Like he's the All guy. All the air yards for Schwartz. <laughs> All the air yards. So Schwartz, 4-2, 40-yard speed can make you know turn a screen into a touchdown like that so he's got a lot of upside there and it seems like the browns want to get him involved if odell beckham's not out there so Jarvis landry's priced up a little bit they're playing the texans like you said the texans can't do anything and you know he flashed like you're not playing a random guy like we played a guy that had a role in week one as opposed to some of these other rookies we played in week one like elijah moore we weren't really sure you know how many targets will they get you know short should be used and even if he only has one or two targets he could take it to the house so i like him as a, another cheap guy Big point I'd make out of all those guys you just listed is doesn't the Mike Evans bounce back just feel so oh, yeah. inevitable this hundred <laughs> percent. Like, he only had last year again, they played twenty games regular season to playoffs, and only once did he go two straight games without either scoring a touchdown or going over a hundred yards. Now I know we had some of these one catch, two yards, one touchdown, two catches, two yard, two touchdown <laughs> games. Maybe that could happen, but I would be shocked if Brady doesn't try to get Evans more involved moving forward. Like, the offense is so damn good. He can go anywhere with it. I just feel like, you know, again, this is just a classic bounce-back spot. Everyone can see coming. And, I'm, you know, I, I don't think Mike Evans is going to be 3% uh, rostered or anything like that. I also don't think he's going to be 15 or 20. So, yeah, don't sleep on that Buccaneers game as well. As sexy as the Cowboys Chargers, you know, likely shootout is, it's a good call to maybe get some more exposure to Tampa Bay and Falcons as well. Let's go through tight end. We have no Kelsey on the main slate, which might cause a lot of people to try to pay up to Darren Waller at 7,600. It seems like Derek Carr is trying to get Waller roughly 600 targets this season. I guess my only thing in cash, though, Andrew, like it's so I was trying to put together a build with Waller and McCaffrey, and it's very tough to do that. If you do it, you basically got to go down from Najee to Henderson from cup. You, you got to get like one of Cedric Wilson or Jalen Guyton, which is very risky. And then I think you need to go down from like your Zeke or Carson to Naeem Hines. So that was the way I was able to fit it. And I didn't like it as much. So I think what I'm leaning towards in cash at tight end is fading Waller as risky as that sounds, and going all the way down to James O'Shaughnessy, who is priced at 2700 had an 80% snap rate last week, six targets, or eight targets, caught six of them for 48 yards. Manhurts got the touchdown. O'Shaughnessy seems like he is the tight end to have in fantasy land, though. So are you with me, Andrew? Are we going down at tight end this week? Yeah, I think punt tight end is the best strategy because most Titans, especially in the middle tier where you, there's usually only one guy that kind of outperforms expectation. And most of the time you just end up spending too much money on it. And you're like, why did I do that? Like I should have, you either pay up all the way for the top guy or you just punt because I think that's really the best because tight ends just don't, 
the way that they're used in offenses, unless you're like Darren Waller, who's viewed as his, I mean, he's basically a wide receiver. Like you shouldn't like look at Darren Waller at 7,400 and compare him to the other tight ends. You should, I looked immediately, I looked at his price. And I was like, how is that compared to the other wide receivers on the slate? Like that's kind of what decision you're kind of making when you're figuring out if you want to play Darren Waller. So yeah, I'll show to see that 2,700 makes way too much sense. I'm a big routes run guy when it comes to the tight end position 44 routes run 10 targets the exact stat line worth chasing a tight end again like could he get zero points yeah it's possible but i mean the guy's involved and he's on the field he's running routes and trevor lawrence is targeting him like i don't know what else you want to ask for for the tight end position like you're gonna george kittle ran like 18 routes last week this guy ran 44 like come on so for, for 2700 i'll risk the goose egg like, yeah exactly us to get mccaffrey exactly exactly like that's what you're doing it's a strategy to get up to the mccaffrey play so yeah and i mean the guy was he, the guy produced last week so there's no it's not a bad thing to chase i think that another interesting guy down there too at 3ks is adam troutman so he's yeah. had a really high target share last week, 23%. It's actually second only to Darren Waller. Again, it's it's a little skewed because the Saints just didn't throw the ball a lot. But it shows that at least Troutman it has the eye of Jameis Winston. Again, it's been Jawan Johnson's the one that's been catching all the touchdowns. But Troutman's been the one that's running more routes. He's been seeing more steady targets in the offense. So I think that he's a pretty safe play down at 3K. If, if you got, I mean, but the difference really is it's probably not much. So if you have the money to get up to Troutman and you feel a little bit better about that, then that's fine. But O'Shaughnessy's probably fine at 2,700 too. So I have no problem going with him as the punt. I mean, I, I did punt tight end Tyler Conklin last week and it worked. So I'm all about the, the punt tight end life. Yeah, <laughs> punt tight end life. Now, GPP, I do think you got to get up over the 4K mark. You have Kyle Pitts as your GPP bounce back. I like it. You know, last week we said it. This could be the only time he's ever going to be priced with a four. That was true. He is now at 5,200. Like, Andrew, the production didn't come, but the targets and usage were exactly what we were hoping for with Kyle Pitts. Basically, if this had been any other rookie tight end, we would be just like celebrating his like greatness but because it was kyle pitts and we had these unrealistic unrealistic expectations from the get-go of course people were going to be disappointed that he didn't go off for 100 yards and he didn't catch a bunch of touchdowns and he was like the only rookie first round pick that didn't score a touchdown in week one yeah so stuff happens but we got the usage we wanted he ran 35 routes he was on a route on 80 percent of matt ryan's dropbacks seventh in area or uh excuse me so he was high in air yards last week and he's also good. He also had a solid target share as well. So all the signs are still there for Kyle Pitts to have an improved game. I mean, the whole Falcons offense really was bad. I mean, it was, it was more like it was really Matt Ryan. That was the reason why Pitts and Ridley did not have great games in week one. So they're going to have to try to keep pace with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We saw Tampa Bay give up a lot of targets to the Dallas Cowboys tight ends last week. So I think it's a perfect bounce. This is a perfect, you know, buy low opportunity with Kyle Pitts. Again, everybody played him last week. He didn't hit. So people are going to be off him this week, especially because his price went up. So you play him again. Like you got to You can't just like give up after one week, especially with a rookie tight end. That's, you know, we knew it could take some time for him to develop. So I think it's a great play to go back to. And another player I didn't mention here, I think we talked about getting exposure to that Bucks game is Gronkowski. I think that we sometimes get bored with some of these players like Gronkowski because they always old like. Is he going to keep up the production? It's like, dude, like, I don't even care. I just know Brady likes throwing the ball in the end zone, and he is 4,400. So I don't think that he totally messes up your lineup, gets you exposure to this Bucks game. He has touchdown equity. And, I mean, he had a great usage last week. So, again, during the end of last season, his usage kind of trickled off. But it seems like he's fresh now, and this is where you want to play Gronk because, I mean, 
Gronk was way better of a tight end last week than Kyle Pitts was, and Kyle Pitts is more expensive. So I think Gronk may not get as much roster ship just because he's like viewed as this older player, and oh, he won't get the targets again. It's like they're playing Atlanta. Like they're going to score points in this game, and Gronk is like Brady's favorite target. So I think that Gronkowski is an interesting guy to also go back to, even after a big game. And sometimes we fade guys after big games. It's like, oh, he won't do it again. It's like, I mean, well, why won't he? They're going to score like 40 points. <laughs> so I think Gronk is an interesting guy there as well. So when I look at tight end, top price guys, Waller, Kittle, Pitts, Gronk, those are our big four. We know they're going to be the featured tight end in their passing game. That's great. A couple other guys, when you start going to 4K and below, you just see one kind of committee after another, someone that, hey, maybe they catch their touchdown. But, you know, Gerald Everett caught it last week. It could be Will Disley next week. David Njoku had a nice game last week. It could be Harrison Bryant or Austin Hooper this week. Like one example of those after another. That's why, Andrew, at 4,200, Noah Fant against the Jaguars. I love that spot. We could see him get more targets without Jerry Judy as well, just like Hamler, Sutton, Patrick. He continues to be fairly underpriced, and he's not fetching the sort of high-end roster ship that I think a lot of people would be expecting here again in this smash spot. And how about Tyler Higby? You know, if you didn't tweet, Tyler Higby's 100% snap rate. What are you doing? Because that seems to be the thing everyone's been doing. But that's also a winnable matchup against the Colts. You know, we did see Gerald Everett and Will Disney. I believe caught all five of their targets for around 50 yards and Tutty last week. Like the Jacob Harris hype train, it's over. It's not happening. Maybe he gets a scheme like a target or two or something, but he is not a threat to Higby, at least in the year 2021. Don't be afraid to go get more exposure to that Rams passing game in that spot. Quickly on defense now. I think the cheapest you can go with a unit that doesn't actively suck is <laughs> Philly. Um, if you look at, you know, just again, these bottom tier defenses, Houston, Atlanta, Minnesota, Jets, Tennessee, Jacksonville. I can't do it with any of them, but Philly at 2,400, like, yeah, the Falcons don't look good, but we got to give Philly a little bit of credit for making them look that bad as well. You know, for them to be home against Jimmy G, who let's face it, we have seen him while he is a winning quarterback and he does a lot of good things. If you can get pressure on Jimmy G, like we see some fumbles and, you know, pretty horrific interceptions come fast from time to time. So I know, I know Kyle Shanahan's great and all that, but looking again at these matchups, Sam Fran, I don't think is an offense we need to necessarily just completely fear. And again, I think the Philly defense, particularly as long as their front seven is at least pretty close to full health, can provide you some value at 2,400. Uh, Andrew, you want to go up a little bit higher to the Panthers at 2,700 or even, dare I say, the Chargers 2,600 against Dak Prescott and company. I love the Eagles call. I didn't write that up. I think that makes a lot of sense for cash, especially because they, they were impressive last week against the Falcons and the Falcons were supposed to be a good offense. So I like that call. But the Chargers... Yeah, man, this is my this is the Arizona Cardinals of week two. Arizona, no one was playing Arizona because there's gonna be a shootout. And we always forget this that the, the defenses and shootouts always score a lot of points for fantasy because they get sacks and they get turnovers because there's so many dropbacks and passing attempts. Like that's where turnovers happen. That's how defenses score points. We are not playing a defense because I hope that this defense pitches a shutout. Like that's not how you score fantasy points in DFS. So the Chargers for me make the most sense because number one, I know that they have talented guys on their team. I Joey Bosa stud 
Derwin James, stud. Asante Samuel Jr., future stud. Like, I know that there's a lot of good players that can make plays on that defense. And you look at the Cowboys' offense there without, you know, Lyle Collins. He's out, right tackle. And tackle positions affect more of the passing game, whereas a guard like Zach Martin affects more of the run game. So that's kind of where I'm viewing that. Again, Collins is not there. So could Dak see more pressure? Yeah, he could, because he's also going to be dropping back a lot. So you could see scenarios where Dak is under pressure more than he likes to be. He's going to be throwing the ball a ton anyway. So I just think that there's a lot of upside going after one. And I just think that they're a better defense than the Cowboys defense is. So I think you could see in a explosive shootout that the Chargers GST actually merges as a legitimate threat in tournaments because they're going to be under owned because people don't want to play them because, oh, no, they're playing the Cowboys. They're going to give up a lot of points when in reality, it's the same. It's the same methodology behind playing the Arizona Cardinals last week, which I didn't do because I'm not smart. So I'm trying to <laughs> learn from my mistakes and play the Chargers defense this week. So again, if they don't get any turnovers or sacks, yes, they could they score negative points. Yes, that is definitely in the range of outcomes, but at 2,600, it's not super expensive. And then with the Panthers play, it's 2,700. Again, the Panthers defense, second highest pressure rate last week. Ryan Burns is a freaking monster. Yeah. And Jameis Winston, yes, he was amazing against the Packers. Okay, if he's under pressure, could he force him into some mistakes? I think that's possible. So I like the Panthers as a young and upcoming defense. I think they're going to be a good defense when we're talking about this in the later of the season. I think they're really young and they have a lot of key playmakers. So I do like the Panthers at 2,700. But yeah, I really think I really charge is really the one I think that could be a, I don't know if it's the right word, DST winning tournament play. But it has come the path where I could see them delivering a lot at really low ownership. Just a couple injury notes that have kind of happened since we started this podcast. Again, people, please tune in. It'll probably be posted actually Friday night, but if not Saturday morning, we'll go through all the final designations and give you all the fancy ramifications from everything going on with the Friday injury dump. But real quick, Josh Jacobs sitting again on Thursday with a toe and ankle injury. He's awfully banged up. If you caught that Monday night game, you could see it. You know, I, we've seen him miss practices throughout the week and suit up Sunday, but Kenyon Drake at 4,900 would certainly be in play if he winds up missing time and also Eric Ebron did not practice on Thursday with the hamstring injury seemed to be a downgrade I almost hope he doesn't play Andrew because if Ebron ends up being out everybody's gonna flock to Pat Fryermuth at 2700 and that'll make the O'Shaughnessy play that much better so we'll see Fryermuth's good himself like I'm not saying that uh he's someone you can't consider rostering but when these injuries happen like we just see everyone start you know going around uh you know usually the backup and I think that gives you some fairly easy leverage opportunities so now it's time for our favorite stacks. I will fire mine off first. I mentioned before with Matthew Stafford as my GPP quarterback. What about Stafford, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby? We're going all three and run it back with either Naeem Hines or Jonathan Taylor. I'll even go Naeem Hines uh, in this example so we can have some more money. I feel like the Rams are a great offense. They're going to freaking put up points on just about anybody. I don't think Indy is one to fear. We got the dome factor. Like Stafford threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns against his Colts defense last year on a significantly worse Lions team. What is he going to do inside this Rams offense? And again, like I, I just love that call from Mike on Twitter. Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, this week's DeAndre Swift, and Jamal Williams. We don't have to worry about game script as much with Taylor, but hey, it's also going to be good news for uh, Naeem Hines regardless of what happens. So I would say with Hines, 
I can't wait to see what his snaps look like in a game where the Colts are winning because he got nine carries last week. Like they don't just view him as this James White, Tariq Cohen like guy that they can't run up the middle. They are willing to do so. So it will be interesting with Naeem Hines in terms of redraft if we can start seeing him flirt with the 15, you know, touch mark even in games where they're up by a couple of scores as well. For now, I am projecting the Rams to have a sizable lead against the Colts for most of the game. That would seemingly boost up Naeem Hines. So Stafford, Woods, Cup, Higby, run it back with Hines or Jonathan Taylor. Sign me up. Andrew, you start, You said before you're not entering a single tournament lineup with, without C.D. Lamb. Tell me who else you want to put uh, alongside him. All right, so there were two wide receiver duos ahead, over 50% of their targets in week one. It was C.D. Lamb and Mari Cooper, Mike Williams and Keen Allen. So I'm starting all four of those wide receivers in my lineup with Justin Herbert at quarterback. And maybe I'll mix in some Ezekiel Elliott to get off of anyone playing Dak Prescott against me with other lineups. So I just think that this game is going to go nuclear. I don't think, yes, the total is really high and it's really obvious, but you know, some people won't play it. It's just a fact. Like there, there was a guy who played Wayne Gallman in a tournament against me and he had a better roster. He had a better lineup than me. I was the someone that played freaking Wayne Gallman who didn't even play. It was made it inactive before the game. They couldn't even swap to like Cordell Patterson. They could have like made the move, but they didn't. And I still lost to them. So I'm, Playing the obvious plays, I'm going with the Chargers and the Dallas Cowboys and and Chargers D as well. Playing Chargers D, even with Lamb in my lineup, even with Cooper, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in, especially too, because they play in the later portion of the afternoon, the main slate. So late night hammer, I'm super excited for it. And I think that's an advantage to just playing them later. So you can watch all these one o'clock, one o'clock games play out, see where you don't necessarily play uh, chalky players and kind of see how things play out and then you can make adjustments to your lineups after you've already seen a slate of games basically play so i think there's a big advantage to just playing a lot of these four o'clock games where that's where most of the high totals are anyway and you can kind of make a lot of changes based on what's already happened so just having more information i think is, gives you a really big edge um in dfs and remember this is being recorded Thursday at 4 p.m., so some of this will change when players are inevitably added to and from the injury list, opening up value throughout the slate. That's why we'll be back here Friday night to talk more and, you know, just make the adjustments to our strategy and keep all of you ready at home. So, people, the big takeaway is that I'm just happy NFL Week 1 is in the books, which means PFF has data and grades for every single player who logged a snap last week. What can you get with the PFF subscription? Well, I'm happy you asked. All of PFF's locked article content, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards are great power projections cover probabilities and betting values zero to 100 grades of every single player include the top rookies on every team player prop tool which shows plus minus value for every nfl prop and more so check out the highest graded players from week one and look to find early value on spread picks and player props for week two and also people week one may be over but the season just getting started at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl to kick off week two DraftKings is giving new customers 200 in free bets instantly when they bet one dollar on any football game, listen up because you don't want to miss this. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet in any football game. Promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And also, thank you to our sponsors because the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast 
is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your football lineup, Western and Southern can help you figure out your financial game plan. Their playbook of life insurance, retirement, and investment solutions can help meet your needs so you can rest assured on game day. They'll help you understand your needs and focus on your financial goals with a customer plan just for you. Visit westernsouthern.com to get started. Andrew, we have completed our second DFS show of the season. Feeling good. What else to be prepared throughout the week that the people can go check out over at pff.com ahead of what looks to be a great Sunday slate? Yeah, so you can go check out the start sit column over on pff.com that released on Thursday, but it has relevant players that are playing not just on Thursday night, but through Sunday, Monday night. So that'll get you all set to set your lineups for Sunday morning. And then the DFS cheat sheet. So talked about a lot of the plays that I like on this podcast, but there are more nuggets. I got some cool graphs. I'm, I'm kind of starting to nerd out. Uh, I have taken some R classes, so I got some cool graphs. So looking at expected fantasy points versus the DraftKings salary. So I think it's really cool, kind of interesting. You kind of see visually where values stand out and you know why it's easy to see, oh, Cole Beasley, like this is why he's a great value. Like you can just see it you know, visually and I think it's kind of cool. So go check that out. Go check that out, people. You can also see my week two quarterback superlatives, breakdown of every backfield, wide receiver, cornerback matchups, and tight end analysis, and my favorite piece of the week, mismatch manifesto, where I put all my favorite stats together. This week, I think there was 49 of them. Got some cool charts. Again, just trying to help you guys get first in your fantasy league. So for Andrew, I'm Ian. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.